You are listening to Scars and Guitars, the podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you might be doing, you are doing exceptionally well. You're about to listen to an interview with the guitarist in a band called Revocation. Well, he's one of the guitarists in a band called Revocation. His name is Dan Gargulo. Dan, if you're listening, my sincere apologies if I've mispronounced your surname there. The reason for the conversation was to promote the band's upcoming Australian tour, which I believe was occurring certainly in April as far as I'm concerned because the Brisbane show is on at Crowbar on the 28th of April. I'll certainly be at that one there. Otherwise, check local guides if you're listening to this sometime around mid-April 2018. Let's have a listen to what Dan has to say. Here we go. Dan, it's Andy McKay-Smith calling. How are you, mate? How's it going, man? Yeah, not, not too bad. I think I'm doing the most cliched thing that Americans probably think Australians are doing at the moment. I'm in a car park outside of Australia Zoo waiting because the family's just gone in, and I'm doing the interview uh, with your good I self. So. I'm just sitting <laughs> at my computer drinking vodka. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that could be considered a cliched thing for Americans and Australians to do, mate, so there yeah, you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been otherwise? I've been great, man. How about you? Yeah, good. Yeah, just sort of getting over the whole Easter thing. I've got two kids, you see, so I think we've still got half a house full of bloody Easter eggs that I'm trying to hide from them so as I don't run around on <laughs> sugar highs, you know. But, uh, yeah. but, mate, otherwise, pretty good. All the better for talking to you otherwise. Uh, I'm sorry? All the better for talking to you otherwise. Though. Oh, yeah, thanks, man. No worries. Yeah, thanks for uh, doing the interview. I appreciate it. No worries, mate. Look, I'll kick things off because I think we've got about 15 minutes or so. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, you're my last interview, so take your time. Oh, wonderful. All right, mate. Well, look, we are looking very much forward to Revocations Tour of Australia because you are playing with Belfagor and, of course, Isan from Emperor. Mate, it's a, hell yeah. of, it's a hell of a lineup. So what sort of a show are you bringing down? Uh, well, you know, like always, it's going to be a mix of newer songs and older songs. Uh, we just finished tracking a record. I'm not sure if any of those songs are going to be ready for uh, playing live just yet, but... Um, you know, that's definitely a thing that's on the horizon. Uh, we actually also announced two more shows as uh, in addition to the uh, the announced ones. Hold on, let me pull it up. Uh, April 28th, we're playing Brisbane at Crowbar with Psychroptic. And then April 29th, we're playing Sydney at Frankie's with Psychroptic. Okay, you've, so, read, uh, you've read my mind on my next question then, because I, I've got to tell you, mate, I'm from Brisbane, and I was I was very disappointed that I wasn't going to get an opportunity to see you guys, but it looks like I am now, so that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm stoked, man. I can't wait. Uh, we've played Crowbar a couple times before, and it's been an awesome every time. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yeah, was that due to demand? Did you get punter feedback or the agents, agency's feedback that a show was warranted, or did you guys actually initiate it? Uh, you know, I'm actually not sure. Um, I believe these shows were actually booked. There was just some reason that they couldn't announce them for a bit. Um, yeah, actually, Dave Haley said uh, there's a beer company that's launching their beer at the show, so we had to wait a bit. Uh, that that was the only issue. Okay, fair enough, mate. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. So, look, you do have a relationship with Australian audiences then from the sounds of things. So what's your relationship been like with us over the years? Uh, well, you know, we've only toured Australia two times, but even the first time was a great experience. So uh, we definitely came to the uh, sorry came to the decision with each other, the bandmates, that we want to hit Australia as much as we can, mm. at least once per album cycle. You know, it's just like you know, to us, it's just as good as Europe or the States or any or Canada or anywhere else. You know, sweet, yeah. It, it, Australia has its own qualities. You know, every place is different and. 
there are things we love about Australia that you can't see anywhere else. Yeah, there aren't that many of us here, but the metal fans that do turn out for the shows, I think, from feedback that I get from musicians and artists like your good self, mate, tend to say that we tend to go off in our own unique way. Yeah, yeah. And our Australians definitely have, uh, I think, a superior sense of humor to other parts of the world. <laughs> we do try. I'm always laughing. <laughs> so, yeah, as a band, you know, you're six albums into a career, mm-hmm. and you've been with the band for three or four of them now, so... Revocation mm-hmm. certainly came onto the scene with a bang, and you're certainly mentioned in the same bracket as bands such as Dying Fetus and Havoc, which I know you've spent some time with certainly as a live guitarist, but the band yes. that I felt you were most likely to be associated with when you first started was the excellent Necrophages from Germany. As a band, though, you're dangerously close to making this a real career, so what do you put the band's success down to? Uh, you know, it's really hard to say because... There are so many bands, and you know there are trends that are changing constantly. So it, it's tough to say like what makes a band hot at any given time. But I think that our goal is to just like kind of have our sound and build on it, but stay true to it because you know we're very we're not a band that like blew up overnight and was, like, suddenly popular. Like, we started out unpopular, and we kept touring, kept doing shit, mm. and we built up a fan base very slowly but surely. And uh, I think that in order to keep doing that, we're going to have to stay true to our sound, but at the same time uh, do something, take our sound in a certain direction with each record. So, like, we don't want to betray the fans, but we don't want to give them the same shit every time. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, I do. And look, you are linked to the more technical elements of performance, and I'm a big fan of the video play-along videos that are posted to YouTube by yourself and by other members of the band. So do you get a lot of feedback from musicians inspired to replicate your performance and become better players courtesy of the vids that the band's members have posted? Uh, Personally, myself, not so much. I mean, I'm sure Davidson gets tons of uh, questions from fans, but, like, you know, he's he's the main writer of the band. Mm. I write, like, one-fifth of every album, which is not that much. Uh, but, you know, it, it is exciting to hear that, like, younger guys are trying to learn our stuff. And, like, that kind of takes me back to when I was in high school and I would just sit down and listen to CDs and try to learn them. And now it seems like, you know, as I've stuck to this career, now I'm on the other end of things where kids mm. are learning stuff that I write. And it's very, uh, it's very humbling to see that. Well, you are an excellent guitarist, and you are an in-demand guitarist, so I have to ask, what was it like playing with Abbott and playing on those classic Immortal cuts? Oh, man, that was uh, very interesting, you know, because, like, I grew up listening to Immortal. The first time I ever smoked weed, I listened to <laughs> Sons of Darkness, and I got so excited. And uh, so, like, when I got the offer, it was kind of out of the blue, Uh you know, I don't even really know how they got my name, but they were like, hey, we're looking for a guitarist. Uh, our normal guy can't do it. Can you learn the songs? And they sent me the set list, and it turned out I already knew, like, four of those songs from just, you know, being a kid listening to Immortal. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll send you a video of these things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun, and it was a challenge to learn uh, the material that I wasn't familiar with. And not just learning it, but making sure I was learning it very accurately, you know? Mm, yeah. Because there are a lot of times where I'll sit down and learn a riff and be like, yeah, I got it. But then you pay close attention and you're like, oh, there's some details in there that I didn't get. And I knew if I was going to be playing these songs live, I was going to have to get them 
real close. So I really pushed myself to get every detail down and learn it by ear. And then by the time I got to rehearse with Abbott himself, um, you know, I had the songs down pretty well. And uh, there were only a couple of things to work out. And he was he was happy that he didn't really have to teach me much. <laughs> a bit, a bit. But it was a really fun tour, man. Uh, the drummer, Emil uh, Vikstin, I think you pronounce his name. Emil, yeah, he, he was an incredible drummer. Uh, I knew him from when we toured with that band Aeon, because mm-hmm. he used to play with them. And uh, it was really a pleasure touring with him and the band. So is Abbott as much of a maniac in real life as what he comes across in some of the videos that are posted to YouTube? Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, <laughs> a energetic person. Uh, he, he's, he's got a very colorful personality, that's for sure. He had me laughing a lot of times. It was uh, it was kind of surreal, to be honest. Even even today, looking back on it, like uh, as the tour went on, you know, I kind of got used to the routine, and and we, uh, it, it became more mundane to me. But looking back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> was it you know? and was it different for you to have to don the corpse paint? Like, what was the process like? Was it a bit like uh, getting into yeah, character? I'll tell you, the only thing I hated about the corpse paint it wasn't putting it on or taking it off. It was that he didn't want us to appear in front of the crowd before we made our entrance. So our tour manager would set up my gear for me and I like setting up my own gear and I would come out on stage and be like, Oh no, I would have set this up differently. And during the first song, I would have to like move knobs around and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, also uh, the other thing I didn't like about it was after the show, I would have to spend time, you know, taking the paint off, getting changed and our tour manager would break our gear down, and I'm really not used to that. I'm I'm used to breaking down my own gear, so uh, it, it was a bit different. You know, it, it wasn't um, what I was used to, but it was still a positive experience. And actually, I was uh, I also doubled as Abbott's guitar tech on that tour. Okay. And that was the first time I ever toured as a guitar tech, and I kind of enjoyed that too. Yeah. So you, you've, you're a talented bloke. There's plenty that you could do. So are you open to more of these opportunities? Should they be presented? I'm sorry. Are you open to more of those sort of opportunities, whether it be doing some tech work or doing some session work, that sort of thing? Should they be presented? Because you know you got bands like I don't know. I'm just going to throw a name out there, Megadeth and the like, because they seem to turn over guitarists every two albums. Is that if an opportunity yeah. with a very big band like that was ever presented, would that be something that you consider? Of course, yeah. I would love to fill in for more bands. You know, uh, filling in for Abbott was a lot of fun for me because it was like. Uh, I took it very seriously, and I wanted to make sure I was playing the song correctly and and doing you know the music justice. But it, it was just it was fun for me to work really hard at a different project, you know. Like, hmm. and I might not have as much personally invested in it, but I still I wanted to be the best that I could be. And uh, yeah, I, I would love to do jobs like that again, filling in for bands. Cool. So here's a tour I'd love to see happen if it's ever possible. <laughs> Revocation, Rings of Saturn, and Aversion's Crown. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, Rings of Saturn, we have actually toured with on uh, one of the old Summer Slaughter tours. And uh, yeah, fun. they were nice guys. Aversion's Crown, I have never met personally, but I know uh, a bunch of dudes who are friends with them and like their music. They're from Australia or New Zealand? They're from here, yeah. They're one of the, the singer, Mark, is from Brisbane, actually, yeah. Yeah, no, I've heard a lot of things about them. I'm not too familiar with their music. But, I mean, you know, honestly, like, I'm not super picky. Like, I'll kind of tour with whoever. Hmm. So, yeah, sure. (laughs) Cool. And 
Mate, here's a good question for you. One of the premier influences on just about anybody in terms of extreme metal guitar performance would have to be Chuck Schuldiner. Now, I'm not sure if you played on the track, but I know the band have, have covered Pull the Plug before. So is Chuck Schuldiner an influence over you? And do you think he'd ever sort of, you know, go in the direction of putting together something resembling a bit of a tribute to Chuck in the future? Uh, okay, as for a tribute to him, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, we covered Pull the Plug. I wasn't actually on that song. That was just Dave back in the day. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Chuck was one of my biggest influences as a kid. Uh, I would always learn death songs because, uh, you know, they're they're simple. They're deceptively tough. You know, a lot of riffs are oh, harder God, than yeah. you might think, yeah. but, but they're catchy. You know, they have, like, this kind of vibe that anyone can latch on to, even people who aren't musicians. And I think that's one of death's strongest qualities you know that they could kind of they took death metal and they made it accessible without making it shitty you know yes so i, I really, really good love that describing it. Yeah. and inevitably he influenced me because i was just learning his songs when i was younger and trying to you know learn them and maybe i could learn how he came to write these riffs in the first place and i guess that's something that's impossible to figure out but but learning his songs definitely educated me and taught me a lot. Yeah, you're a smart guy for saying that because that's something I've spent a lot of time thinking. I'm also a musician, and I might add that I'm not a metal musician, but Chuck fascinates me. I've often tried mm. to get into his headspace to understand how he arrived at the process of writing the riffs that he does because they're not like anybody else's, are they? They're very unique. Right, right. And, and that's something I actually uh, think is, is more common than you might think. I mean, like so many musicians bring their own thing to the table, like no matter how accomplished they are in terms of chops or knowing music theory like there could be like take Kurt Cobain for example like Nirvana is not a re really a band that people look up to like musicians look up to because Kurt was not really like a technically gifted guitarist hmm. but I feel like his songs really like conveyed emotion so well and uh I don't know I really love that about their sound and I think a lot of metal needs that you know there, there's not much emotion in metal nowadays everything's so perfectly produced that it's like yes any tiny details or or tiny mistakes that end up sounding cool are lost and it, it's just so perfect that it's it's emotionless to me sometimes but I, uh you know that said, sometimes i like bands that are emotionless it depends on the vibe or the intention yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. There, there are far too many bands, particularly bands that produce debut releases these days, that just sound as though they've been put through some sort of a, a, a replica of... Well, there's a lot of bands that sound like you guys, to be honest with you, but without that X factor that you guys bring to the table. And I often mm. wonder exactly what a lot of these young fellas and these young girls are thinking when they start up a band. There's no point in trying to copy somebody. You've really got to come out with something unique. And then, you know, you can refine the sound as you go along, but... The whole production process, and I'm going to give you an example. I had a good chat to Steve Tucker, who, of course, is the front man these days in Morbid Angel. You know, the thrice mm, return yeah. front man in Morbid Angel. And, look, I, I didn't want to offend him or anything, and he said I didn't offend him, but I had to say to him I didn't like the production on Kingdom's Disdained because I really feel mm. it takes away from some of the tremendous riffs that Trey has written for that album. And he said, well, and he, it, his, his response has actually allowed me to get back into the album, which he said, well, look, there are so many bands with this, type of production style these days where it's very sterile. He used different language, but I'm just, for the sake of our discussion here, he used words similar to sterile. 
what we wanted to do in Morbid Angel was we wanted the sound of the martial amps to come through very crisp and very clear. But then I, I started mm -hmm. talking about the drum sound as well, but I actually understand the process now behind their methodology or the philosophy they brought to the table when they were producing the album. They wanted to do something a little bit different to what was out there, so more power to them. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, about it. To be honest, it's different. I, I understand, like, you know, a lot of people are complaining about how the drums are a little loud on that album, and yeah, maybe they are, hmm. but... Uh, the thing I really like about it is what Steve said, you know, like you can hear the Marshall amps and it doesn't sound generic, especially by today's standards. It's its own thing. So, you know, I mean, I listen to a lot of music that doesn't have the highest quality production or doesn't have the biggest budget. And I'm not really a stickler for production, but I don't know. Maybe it's a little crazy of me to say this, but like I feel like a lot of the bands that have high budgets end up having like this fake sterile production and a lot of these bands that have more raw production because of a low budget are pulling off something more unique to me hmm. yeah no I agree look i've got nothing against the bands i'm about to mention personally it's just personal preference and taste but i can't stand the production on bands albums from or on an album from a band like uh, five figure death punch it just sounds so sterile and processed and it's as if it's totally artificial and i don't really quite understand what the band is trying to achieve. It's like someone sat them down and said, you'll get played on radio if it sounds like this. But I know the riffs are there, and I know the guys are apparently really nice fellas. So it's not a dig mm. at them personally. But when I listen to the album, I can only listen to those records for about five minutes or so before I go, Jesus, give me Covenant by Morbid Angel or something. Right, right. Well, to me, it's like, you know, sometimes if you're pursuing perfection so hard, you might actually miss the whole point and end up with a record that sounds fake. Yes, indeed. And look, on that note, like, see, so you're a very accomplished player. So, what sort of what sort of guitars do you play these days? And my, I do host a podcast as well, so it's called Scars and Guitars. And because I'm a musician, I do like to talk about this sort of thing. So, what I'd like to understand is how you've arrived at the choice of string gauge that you use as well. Uh, okay, well, I've actually uh, I just started playing twelves. Uh, I, I I like thick strings on top on the bottom. I find that I'm actually preferring a bit thinner strings on the bottom. Uh, we play seven strings, and I used to play a 62 on the low B. Mm. But I find that, like, you know, really thick strings have almost, like, a more bass guitar-like tone to them. And mm. as opposed to a bit thinner, it, it sort of brightens the tone to my ears. So I, I love thick strings up top. But on the coiled strings, I kind of like them a little thinner. Yeah, gotcha. That's just my purpose. And what's, not a lot of people think. Do you use a, a heavy gauge or a thicker plectrum? Uh, my picks are always one millimeter. I find that that's a, that's a good thickness for me. Oh, yeah. Any thicker than that, it becomes like extreme, you know, and like, I, I, I know it's not going to happen, but I always worry I'm going to like break the strings. <laughs> but uh, Yes, yeah. It was at this point that my Netgear Nighthawk router overheated because I'd left it on the dashboard of my vehicle. As I mentioned in the opening strains of my conversation with Dan, I was sitting in the car park of Australia Zoo here at Beer Burham on the Sunshine Coast. The Netgear Nighthawk router obviously doesn't like working in temperatures above 40 degrees or 50 degrees Celsius. Nevertheless, Dan did call me back. I picked it up on my mobile phone. I hit record and audacity and we got stuck back into it. What sort of guitars are you using these days? Uh, well, I'm endorsed by ESP, so I'm playing theirs, and, 
I gotta say, I'm really happy with them. I have my custom, and uh, it's a Horizon 3. Uh, I put a single coil on the neck and a humbucker on the bridge. No Floyd Rose, just standard old hardtail. And uh, recently, I just set up all my old guitars. I restrung them all, redid the truss rods on all of them. I restrung my nylon string guitar, and I fixed up every single guitar I ever had. <laughs> and then I'm still playing my ESP. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I really like the guitar, but I, I've also been playing my, uh, I have a nylon string that I play a lot. I'm interested in classical guitar. I'm not the best, but I try to do it as often as I can. So a, an, an accomplished player like yourself, do, do you gravitate toward those players like Paco de Lucia, you know, the Spanish flamenco master? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really love his sound, and it, it's so impressive how fast he can play without a pick. Yes. Uh there was that famous video of him and Al Demiola and uh, I think John McLaughlin was the third one. That's right, spot on. Yep, that's uh, it. Yeah, no, he's an amazing player. I mean, I don't play that way. He, he's had such a, so much of a different route of education than I had. But, um, yeah, I totally appreciate his playing. And, you know, it, it's so easy for me to get jealous of other players and be like, oh, this guy's <laughs> so good at style. But at the same time, I also have to realize that you know, everybody brings something unique to the table, and I found my niche, and I should just run with it. Yeah, that's you know? so true, isn't He's it? Gonna be like, I wish I could do what he does. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Look, I, I'm, as a bassist, I look at, um, you know, it's a guy like Jaco Pistorius. I look yeah. at him, uh, or a guy like Stanley Clark, and I think, oh shit, you know, or Mark King from Level Forty Two, especially Mark King. And I think, oh, oh <laughs> yeah, and I go, oh, look, should I even bother? But you've got to mind your own creativity, haven't you? Of course, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, my dad is still telling me to this day, he's like, you should play all sorts of uh, genres of music, and you should learn this, and you should learn that. But, I mean, when I did, when I was younger, I did do that. You know, I learned all sorts of genres. I learned jazz, I learned classical, I learned classic rock. But, like, at this point, you know, I kind of found what I'm good at, and I'm kind of pushing forward in that direction. Mm. And he's still like, well, what are you going to play uh, rock music? And I'm like, well, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question for you, actually, because as accomplished a guitarist as you are, you've seen Nuno Betancourt has been Rihanna's guitarist for, I think he's been Rihanna's guitarist for a lot longer than people think. It's about 10 years or so. Yeah. You know, if, yeah, wow. If you were ever given an opportunity with someone like Hilary Duff, would you take it? Oh, of course. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. Mean, I, I don't have to be in love with the person's music in order to play it, you know? Like, I mean, I, I was lucky with the Abbott tour that it was something kind of up my alley. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I would I would happily play for a band that I wasn't necessarily a fan of. You know, I, I, I'm always trying to learn new things. I, I'm, unless it was a band that I fucking hated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then maybe, but... But yeah, I don't have to be a huge fan to want to learn the music for learning its sake, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that Madonna's guitarist is a is a metal guitarist. I can't That's remember his right. name. Yeah, he's also an ESP guy like myself. Uh, I think Monty Pittman is. Monty Pittman. I was about to say Monty yeah. Connor, but it's not that. He's the uh, metal blade guy, I think, isn't he? Or um, Monty Connor. What does he do? You know, I'm going off on a tangent, but yeah, that's a name uh, I have in my head. But What was the name? Monty Connor. I'm trying to think. He's a record uh, label sure. guy. Not sure. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's cool. And and, and you're not a multi-effects unit guy, eh? You're the sort of guy that spent a lot of time putting together a few rigs. Uh, funny you say that, because I, I do love pedals, and I do have an enormous pedal collection, and I'm still collecting. However, 
for convenience's sake, I was actually thinking of upgrading to that uh, Line 6 Helix. Yes. Not the entire thing, because I'll never give up my tube head. But uh, they make a version now that's just like a multi-effects unit. And uh, yeah, I'm thinking about picking up one of those just for the sake of uh, ease of traveling. And I know it's a high-quality thing, so. Yeah. But yeah, I love my titles so much. Yeah, I know it's that conundrum, isn't it? I mean, I've got a rather a large rig as a bass guitarist, but it's a rig that I trust and rely on completely, and it gives me a lot of confidence when I'm standing up on stage because everything's in a rack mount behind me whenever I'm performing. But I do know whenever that thing switches on, it's not going to let me down, and that's a massive part of what happens when you take it to the stage, isn't it? Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, my gear is tried and true. I make sure to uh, practice with it numerous times before we hit the road, so... Mm. Yeah, whenever I go out with a, a group of pedals, I know they're going to do well. Yeah, sweet. Mate, I better let you go. I better get back to the fam and the zoo here, but it's been a pleasure to catch up, and I do hope I can shake your hand and have a beer with you when you come down. Of course, man. Yeah, I'd love to see your show. Come introduce yourself. No worries. Well, I'll try and do that at the Brizzy show, mate. So thanks very much for the conversation. It's appreciated. Thanks, man. Thanks, you too. No worries, brother. Cheers. Take it easy. Thanks. You are listening to Scars and Guitars, the podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my conversation with Dan, one of the guitarists from the excellent band from the US of A, I believe they're from Boston, called Revocation. Thank you so much for listening.